Hello and welcome to Dark Concepts, a fictional supernatural horror podcast written and narrated by me, Brian J. Cummings. So, uh, hi. I've been away for quite a while, and if you're new here, welcome. For those who are still hanging around here uh, during all these long weeks without no new episodes, thank you, and uh, welcome back. So, for the last three months, I've been writing my first standalone novel, um, tentatively called The Possession. Um, I finished it. It's currently being kind of just sitting in a drawer. I'm going to get back to it probably within the next month or so. Um, But I was trying to (laughs) do that while doing the podcast and writing a full time and doing a full time job and life. And it just I couldn't do it. So I'm back. Finally done with all that. So uh, I have a full roster of stories for the spring. Stick around afterward to hear commentary about the story and more about what's going on behind the scenes here and as well as a true ghost story that I have to tell. So uh, with that, let's get on with it. So uh, before we get started, quick trigger warning, friends. Um, This story has some elements of child abuse and domestic violence. So with that, here we go. After a fatal hit and run... Gary finds himself faced with not only the potential for jail time, but possibly something far worse. Road Rage Yeah, I saw the whole thing, man. I was behind him on the highway. Black truck, Connecticut plates. Fucking mountain and canoes on top. He definitely hit her front end. 39-year-old Brent Carey stood along the side of the southbound Interstate 95, which had slowed to a crawl. An apathetic funeral procession for Dora Jones, 67, who had been run off the side of the road and killed by an aggressive and possibly drunk driver. And you were the first on the scene? Yeah, I pulled right over. I couldn't believe how many other people just rolled on by, man. Like, what the fuck? I got out and, uh, well, did you attempt CPR? Yeah, well, I tried until I saw half the lady's fucking face was missing. I did try, though, until a doc showed up and, well told me I did as good a job as anyone could. She was unconscious when you got to her? The officer asked, looking down at the car's destroyed front, which was hugging a massive oak tree. Not when I opened the car door, no. She was talking, mumbling, something. I couldn't hear what she was saying. It wasn't like two seconds before she was out, though. At least she went pretty quick. Brent turned to the officer. I hope you get that fucking guy, man. A guy like that, he's a fucking monster dad shut up and sit down his daughter's sobs were the only thing that he could hear the sun was going down and though his heart was at panicked hammering against his ribcage gary didn't feel anything toward whoever was in that little green station wagon the weekend had been just one shitty thing after another the rain started everything off relentless rain the entire fucking fourth of july weekend No fireworks. The wife was shacked up with Lenny, a guy who was supposed to be his good friend, found her in his tent. Two screaming kids didn't help make the drive any easier. Had he had a little too much to drink before storming off, leaving their mother behind? Yeah, maybe. Seven was kind of a lot, especially before nine in the morning. Hitting that old bitty in her car did a good job of sobering him up, though. Had he meant to hit her? Hell no. 
Gary remembered watching the little green car as it swerved, trying to maintain purchase on the road as it sailed over the edge of the roadway. Most importantly, he could remember the eyes of the older woman sitting behind the wheel. Eyes that were staring directly into him. Black eyes, some would say. Accusing eyes. What the fuck was he going to do about it? It had been two hours since he had bumped her, and they were only a few miles from home now. Was he in the free and clear? His buddy owned an auto body shop. He'd hook him up with fixing up that little spot on the rear driver's side bumper. He hadn't even stopped to look at it, but he could see in his mind the little streak of forest green where his car and that dinosaur had traded paint. Anyway, she was probably fine. She had to have been going at least 45 or so. If anything, it was her fault for not going the speed limit. Fuck, did he have a headache. His two daughters were in the back seat, one screaming that she's dead and dad over and over while the other one just simply cried. Would you two shut up? Gary roared, and as if by magic, the two young girls became silent. He glared at them from the rearview mirror, and he saw fear in their tear-streaked eyes and felt a brief flash of superiority as he settled into a seat and drove on. Ah, that blessed sweet, sweet silence that fear brings. The rest of the drive home was bathed in that silence until he pulled into the driveway, and the younger one, Layla, had started sniffling again. He had to get these two kids some dinner and put them to bed. Had they eaten today? Had he? He didn't know, and he really didn't give two fucks either way. His head was busting. Getting out of his truck, he turned and glanced at the damage under the light of the motion sensor on his garage. There he saw the dent and the damning stripe of green paint over the black. He cursed, opened the rear cab door, and got Layla out of her car seat. Soon enough, he was making hamburger helper and working on getting his two distraught kids to bed. It was as he was making dinner that he started to feel a little remorse about how he had treated them. They hadn't deserved any of this. They looked like miniature versions of his cheating wife, but they didn't do anything wrong. They were scared when he hit the old woman's car. How could they not have been? He rubbed his aching head and prepared their plates, trying his best to keep from shaking. What if he had killed that poor woman? The alcohol had long since burned off, and now he was beginning to feel the weight of his actions. Jesus, he had a lot to lose. His kids were still so small. He had a mechanical business that was just starting to be successful. All of a sudden, his wife cheating on him was the least of his worries. What was he going to do if there were flashing lights outside his house? Hit and run. He fled the scene of an accident. At the very least, that's bad enough. Gary sat down and called his kids to come to the table. At first, neither one responded, and he felt that flash of rage rise up before his youngest daughter came into the room, still rubbing her eyes. Jenna, where's Layla? He asked. The four-year-old didn't say anything, only pointed down the hall to the girl's shared bedroom. Gary hissed impatiently through his teeth and started down the hallway. Despite the newfound panic, this fear only seemed to add fuel to his wrathful fire within. Before he could stop himself, he stormed down the hallway, his sock-clad feet pounding into the hardwood floor, bringing with it as much authority as his throbbing head could muster. When he got to the door, he didn't waste any time in slamming the door open, making it crash hard into the doorstop, and no doubt leaving a small circular dent on the door itself. All the rage he brought with him evaporated the instant his eyes took in exactly what he was seeing. 
Layla was in the room, sitting on the floor facing away from him. The plain white sheet from her bed was hovering in the air behind her, as if draped over someone's head. The moment Layla turned to look at him, the sheet dropped to the ground. An icy chill from inside the room made him shudder slightly. What the hell was that? He asked his daughter, who just stared at him, clearly fearful beyond words and unsure of how to answer. He stepped inside and walked around Layla, who didn't move from the spot. He picked up the blanket. She's a ghost now, Layla said, her eyes wide. Gary's blood went cold. What do you mean? Dora Jones. That was her name. The woman in the car. I watched her ghost chase us all the way home. She hitched a breath and tried her best not to sob, but couldn't help it. Through wiping her face with her forearm, she told him that she was really, really mad. You don't know what you're talking about. Come to the kitchen. Dinner's getting cold, he said, throwing the sheet to the ground. For a moment, he thought he saw something out of the corner of his eye. The image of a dark shadow standing directly behind him. A reflection in the mirror on a little vanity playset on the other side of the room. But he ignored it. Gary and Layla joined Jenna at the table. The entire time the kids picked at their food, not eating very much at all. And Gary couldn't help but feel cold. What the hell was the air set on, he wondered, and got up to check the thermostat, which had been programmed to stay at 75 in the summer. He was shocked to see that this thermostat was set at 79. It had at some point been shut off, though he wasn't sure how, especially since it could control it from his phone. He reactivated the thermostat and sat back down, still unable to shake the chill in his bones. What the hell was going on here? He played with the idea of calling Maggie, at least to do it so that the kids could talk to their mother, but his stubbornness immediately shot that plan down. She could stay out there in the woods for the rest of the summer for all he gave a shit. Yeah, let that sink in. Let her think about what she did. How she disrespected him and her family. He slammed his fist down on the table, causing the two girls to startle. Jenna dropped her fork on the ground, and the waterworks already formed in her eyes. Don't you start crying, damn it. I've had enough of... Too late. That's it. Both of you to bed. Now. He growled picking up his own half of the finished plate of food and tossing it into the sink where it shattered. He didn't care anymore. Everything was going to shit, so fuck it all. He'd probably proceed to break every damn thing he could if he knew it could get out the anger. He knew it wouldn't, though. There would always be more things to break. There always were. The girls left the table and ran to their bedroom, where he followed behind them and slammed the door closed, leaving them inside to cry it out. It was harsh, but it was good for them. His daddy did the same to him when he was being a little shit and he turned out okay. He rubbed his aching forehead and muttered about them thanking him later as he staggered down the hallway. He felt drunk all of a sudden. Woozy. He stumbled into the living room and plopped down on the couch, feeling the world spinning around him. All he could hear was the pounding in his heart and his head as he leaned forward and put his throbbing head into his hands. Was this some kind of delayed hangover? What the fuck was happening? None of this was making any sense. The idea of trying to turn on the TV and do his best to ignore what was possibly some kind of medical event was daunting. He did it anyway, 
ignoring the warning bells and turning on something mindless, some action movie with explosions happening in the background. He stared at the screen, ignoring the tunneling of his vision the best he could, though his heart rate was telling him, warning him, that something was wrong. Something was about to happen. There was a sharp bark of pain behind his right eye and he shouted. His hands flew to his face and he fell forward. Damn near crashing into the coffee table and gasping for breath, pulled his hands away to find speckles of something dark flickering on the TV. What the fuck? He hissed and got up. Big mistake. The moment he did so, his vision swam violently and he was unable to keep his feet from kicking out from underneath him. He fell to the ground in a heap beside the couch. Darkness swam over him and the last thing that he saw was a ghostly image of an older woman standing in the corner of the room, her eyes black and hollow pits. The moment before the darkness engulfed him, she rushed over, and the last thing Gary Wharton saw was the face of the woman he knew with every fiber of his being to be dead. The moment Maggie Wharton stepped up to her house, she knew that other than the dead lady in Maine, there was something else very wrong. The truck was gone. She didn't see it in the driveway, now illuminated by the flashing strobes of several police cruisers. No one knew how Gary had managed to get all the way home without being apprehended, despite the fact that the state police had his license plate number, the model and make of his car, and his name almost immediately after he ran Dora Jones off the road. They had stakes all over Interstate 95, but no one saw him take the exit near Hartford. Maggie opened the door and was immediately greeted by her two children, who hadn't slept a wink in the night. It was apparent that they had been left alone. And though Maggie was more than relieved to see the two of them, a flash of unquenchable rage rose in the sight of her neglected children. Where the fuck was their piece of shit father? She felt a sudden bite of pain behind her eyes that went away the moment Layla put her hand on her mother's arm. She took daddy, she whispered, eyes trained on the police walking around the property. What? Maggie asked, leaning in closer. She took daddy, Layla repeated. Looking at her mother this time, she wasn't tearful, but deadly serious. Who took daddy? Dora Jones, Layla answered. She took him for a ride. She told me she was going to, and that daddy wasn't going to come back ever again. Layla said, her voice breaking towards the end. It was because he killed her, sent her car into the tree. So she did it to him, too. At that time, the officer walked up to Maggie, his face grim. We found your husband. I'm sorry to say this, Miss Wharton, but your husband has passed away. We need you to come with us to identify the body. She understood that this was coming, but it didn't stop the hammer blow from the news. Maggie could feel this truth the moment her eyes set on the still-lit house from the back of the police cruiser. Covering her mouth, she turned away from the officer, telling him that she needed a few moments to herself. Somehow she managed to get a hold of herself, enough to call her parents to watch the kids for a few days while she settled things. Maggie had barely taken in what her daughter had told her, but all the same, the young girl's haunting words stuck with her as she rode with the police officer to the hospital. Their footsteps echoed down the empty early morning hall of the hospital basement where the morgue was located. She soon saw the door, and the hammering of her heart was almost more than she could take. She loved Gary, but lately that love had significantly waned. He surely wasn't the same man 
she had decided to marry seven years earlier. He was obsessed with his business and getting ahead, and his drinking had become a problem that she had been trying to help curb, but apparently it wasn't enough. No, she couldn't go and start blaming herself like she always did. It wasn't her fault that she was caught in the other tent with Gary's friend, Lenny. The two had been getting closer, a little flirtatious at times, yeah, but neither one had even touched one another by the time Gary had spotted her there. Lenny was a good listener, and always had good things to say in reply. They may have been things she needed to hear, but still, at least they were comforting. She was simply looking for something she was missing, that yearning for another's touch that Gary had simply overlooked. He never asked her about her day when she got home from work. The two of them had never even exchanged hugs anymore. Maggie supposed they would never exchange hugs ever again. She was right. The officer led her into the morgue, where she felt her breath catch and her heart start to pound with a quickening pace as she stepped into the cold room just outside the medical examination room, where a body was lying zipped up in a black body bag. This was truly a nightmare but one she couldn't seem to wake from. No matter how bad she wanted to scream, to turn and bolt from the room without ever looking back, her feet continued on, following the officer into the room that smelled of chemicals and the hint of death. She stood before the covered body on the table. The medical technician glanced over at the officer and at Maggie, who nodded, affirming that she was ready to see what was inside. Despite her never being able to be ready for something like this for as long as she lived. The zipper was pulled and what lay beneath the black folds was exposed. It was about as bad as she had expected. The face, the crushed in as if battered but repeatedly by a hammer, had no doubt once been the face of the man that she had married. She stared down at the remains. What had hours before been a warm body capable of doing both loving things and the most despicable acts now lay just as insubstantial as the table it lay upon. Death hadn't taken the worst of Gary. He'd done that to himself long before. The technician saw Maggie nod and zip the bag back over the ruined face when her eyes caught something standing in the corner of the room. Her first thought was how the hell someone dressed in a shawl and tattered cotton gown got into the morgue when she realized the woman's face was half covered with blood. The image lasted only for a fraction of a second, but she understood deep down what she was looking at. Dora Jones had stayed with the body long after she had cursed Gary to death and was reaping the pain it was causing. Repayment, perhaps, for what Gary had cost her. Maggie didn't know and didn't care, but when she tried to think of something to say to the older woman, the image had vanished from the darkened corner and Maggie would never see the woman ever again. Brent Carey jumped from his spot on the couch the moment Gary Wharton's truck slammed into a tree several yards from his house. The bag of barbecue-flavored chips he had just opened exploded from his lap, and half the bag was now spread all over his living room floor. He had just gotten home from his much-delayed drive from Maine after dealing with the police after the accident that killed Dora Jones only to witness the same exact truck that had caused it to veer off the side of the road and slam into a massive tree. The truck had to have been going almost 100 when it blasted into the tree and flew sideways, rolling several times before stopping and smoldering in a smoky heap in a nearby cornfield. 
For the second time that day, Brent called the authorities to report a horrific accident. It was as he was heading out to see if the poor fucker was okay when he saw the woman standing in the field, and the sight of her nearly made his legs give out. He paused, not really believing what he was seeing, and then continued to check inside the cab, where he saw the condition of the very dead man behind the wheel, before bolting back to his house, leaving the woman still standing beside the wreckage. Brent saw her standing there for nearly ten minutes before the authorities arrived, when she finally vanished. Brent knew it was vengeance that had placed her there, though he hadn't really believed in such things until now. After everything was cleared away, Brent stared a long time into that field, where he saw the ghost of Dora Jones, and hoped against everything that he'd never see something like that ever again. That was the thing about rage, he supposed. A realization made after copious bong rips right before finally passing out that night. Rage had a tendency to hold on to someone long after the event that had caused it, and it not only corroded the one who had been wronged, but the one who had caused it in a way of creating a psychic debt. And though Brent would never see Dora or any other spirits for the rest of his life, he would often think of that sepulchral woman standing in the field watching over the corpse that had caused her doom. The playing out of a modern-day curse. So, this story came to me when an aggressive driver tried to knock me off the road not too long ago. I was on Route 16 heading to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, going south, and uh, when the silver truck... <laughs> packed to the sky with fucking canoes zooms right on my ass like i look in the um rearview mirror and all i see was the grill no headlights like super freaking close so i'm um so i'm from a place in delaware known as slower lower the southern part of the where it's mostly just towns and the speed limit rarely goes above 45 so me going like 10 over the speed limit is i'm um, doing pretty well um so anyway, this guy stays there, even though there's like no one in the lane next to me. And well, I'm sure as shit not budging for this prick. So eventually he gets tired of me doing this and uh, zips to the side of me, floors it and goes to slip back in front of me when his rear bumper is level with my uh, front passenger wheel, basically forcing me into the shoulder. So I naturally get out of the way, trying to avoid this fucker from causing an accident and I remember seeing the kids in the back of the truck and seeing him in the rearview mirror practically screaming and was just like, what in the actual fuck <laughs> is this guy's problem? Like, it sucks to be that kind of angry like ever, but and especially around your kids. So this is also why you don't piss off writers because they put you in their stories. So um, I'm normally one for happy endings, but this guy clearly was a piece of shit and he made me grump enough to write this story. So there's that. Um, and it goes to show, just be cool on and off the road. Like, don't, none of that needed to happen. Um, the world is fucking dumb enough, and we don't need to add to it. So anyway, um, enough of that. Now for the ghost story. My day job has me currently working at an old high school, and this high school has a massive attic, and that's where we're primarily doing all the work. And the attics have these uh, cupolas with, like, an actual clock tower, which is really cool. But anyway, the school was built in like the 1800s and the part where we're at was around like 1930s. 
But anyway, the other day I was taking a break and the attic has these long lanes down the center, which span the wings of the school. And I was sitting off in one of the eaves, just taking a break. And I heard footsteps and saw someone walking down the center of the aisle. And I thought it was my coworker and glanced up. But uh, once I once I zeroed in on whoever was there, they, it was gone. The footsteps ended too. So it was like I heard something and then it stopped. It was wild. Seeing these things out of the corner of the eye is pretty common. Um, but the footsteps accompanying it was hard to explain, especially since I was there all by myself in the massive attic. And I mean, this place is super silent. It is crazy how quiet it is in the, this place. And I'm currently still working there. And this little event happens at least once or twice a week. And I'm not the only one noticing this. My coworker actually came to me the other day and had the same exact experience. So it was like, okay, I'm at least, you know, not the only one seeing this stuff for once. It's great. But um, I get the impression that this spirit is like a residual haunting of a maintenance guy, possibly. Former maintenance, uh, I was a maintenance guy myself, and going off and finding those quiet places and chilling and ruminating was some of the best times I've had doing the job. So I don't blame them for kind of hanging out up there, if that is the case. Um, but that's it so far. I haven't gotten any imagery yet or specter haunting this attic, but I will keep you posted. I love working in haunted places, especially when the energy isn't dark or depressing. Construction sites can be some of the worst when it comes to vibes, and 9.9 out of 10 of those times it's the living working there that bring that terrible and miserable energy. It's the best of both worlds when it's the workers and those who remain after their time here has passed combined and to one generally good vibe. It's pretty awesome. But anyway, that's all I have for you today. I hope you liked it. Uh, before I go, I want to remind you that I still have a short story collection out there on Kindle. If you support what I'm doing and you want to read the first season of the show in a written format. And also if you're like me and just love talking about the paranormal, just let me, just uh, let me know on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Instagram is where I hang out the most. And I could talk for days about this stuff. Literally. Um, so with that, I'll be back in two weeks time with another story channel from the darkness of the witching hour. So keep a candle nearby because you never know when the lights will go out. His kids were still so small. I lost the place where the fuck I was reading. Son of a bitch.